Welcome to the Life Church Reno podcast. Here at Life Church, we seek to love God, love others, and make a difference. From wherever you're listening, we pray that this message impacts you. Good morning, everyone. <laughs> Someone remembered my name. It's, it's so good to be here with you. I'm just so glad you're here. This is like a really good day to be in church. Uh, whether you are online or you are in the house, we are really glad that you are here. And I'm going to spend a little time telling you why you are here this morning. All right? It's just, uh, it's just that's why it's a good day. I'm going to tell you why you're here. Now, I want to ask you to do something. This is like a huge act of restraint on your part, okay? I'm going to read a scripture in just a moment, and I don't want you to whoop. I know. There's a hoopable scripture coming. There's a moment where you can do this. But I want to start without the hoop. And I just, it's kind of an experiment, but mostly the hoop one's coming. Everybody got it? We'll see how we do. Matthew 21, verse 12. Yeah. I heard that. <laughs> Jesus went straight to the temple and threw out everyone who had set up shop, buying and selling. Excuse me, I'm gonna, that's a different, uh, I'm going to read the uh, NIV. That's what we have online. Jesus entered the temple courts and drove out all who were buying and selling there. He overturned the tables of the money changers and the benches of those selling doves. It is written, he said to them, my house will be called a house of prayer, but you are making it a den of robbers. And then verse 14, and we don't normally read with that, the blind and the lame came to him at the temple and he healed them. The message says, now there was room for the blind and the cripple to get in. Okay? See, what's going on here? See, I think most of us are not that comfortable with angry Jesus. The only time we're comfortable with him was when we're pretty well convinced that he's angry about whatever it has made me angry. Because that's kind of how it works for us, right? I get upset, and I'm pretty sure because I'm upset, he must be upset. That's why it's here. But that's not it. What we're getting is this window into something that genuinely upsets him. See, it's obvious that there are some goings-on in the temple enclosure here that do not accurately represent the temple's true purpose. This is Jesus sorting it out for them. He's helping them. See, some behaviors were occupying the important space where Israel was supposed to be worshiping God and ministering to the people. And when they did it right, the temple became this visible sign to the whole world that God was connecting and wanted to connect with humanity. When they did it wrong, it sent this entirely different message, and that was the problem. And moving this over into our present-day situation, where we live now, in this scripture, Jesus is declaring that the activity of the church was, was to always be on mission, to accurately model him, to make room for the blind and the crippled, anyone who needs us to get in. The broken should always have access to him. The powerless should always find help and friendship with us. In coming to the house of prayer, the needy should always find Jesus. 
because that's how you get healed. See, I'm a, I'm a church guy. I, I eat and breathe and sleep church. I believe in church with all my heart because I believe it is God's vehicle. It's created by him to represent him, to be the agent and the bearer of the kingdom of God. That is the church. I believe that the local church is meant to be the most accessible version of God's communique to the world. The church is you and it's me together. Not just for some grins, not just for some mutual massaging, but to get something of great importance done in this world. We are on mission. And if we get off mission, we will no longer be the emissaries of, God's, of, the, of all the God-given and God-driven purposes. See, the, the church still ex exists with, with its failures, with its blessings, with its accomplishments, with its challenges, with all these things. We're still here to represent God in a world that is always careening to a disastrous end. It's not going to end well out there. See, I would love, at this point in my life, I would love to believe that, that somehow society or, or goodwill or maybe science or, or maybe just great leadership would someday just arise and they would come up with a great panacea that would cure all the world's ills. Wouldn't that be wonderful? Hasn't happened yet, has it? And I just don't think that it ever will. See, Jesus in people's lives is the only solution that God has ever offered to save the inhabitants of the planets of this planet. <laughs> it just got weird. Yeah, sorry. See, in his dying and his resurrecting, he gave the, the, the whole outcome of that and the message of that, this kingdom of God, he gave it to us, the church, his people. It's our message. Sometimes, though, how many of you know, because we choose to present him in ways that he doesn't truly want to be seen, that he finds it necessary to once in a while kick a little ecclesiastical behind. True? Early service, I said, but. But I know you got kids. You don't want them to say that word. I have a granddaughter who just discovered that word. And so she's trying it out. All opportunities. She didn't hear from grandpa. Just everybody in the first service did. See, we, re we recently presented an entire series around the book of Acts um, that featured this, the church empowered and directed by the Holy Spirit's presence figured prominently in all of those sermons. The church under the Spirit's direct influence is incredibly important. It is never an afterthought. It is never just an alternative. Because of what Jesus paid for it, hear, hear this, because of what Jesus paid for it, the world deserves the best version of what he created. How many of you agree with that? See, the church is not a solution in and of itself. It never has been. But it is the bearer and the proclaimer of that solution. 
So now I want to look at another scripture that starts to tell us why we are here. So turn with me to 2 Corinthians 5, 16. There is no whoop like a life church whoop. I, it kind of was pent up, though, wasn't it? It was like going to explode. 2 Corinthians 5.16. So from now on, we regard no one from a worldly point of view. Though we once regra- regarded Christ in this way, we do so no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come. The old is gone. The new is here. All this is from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation, that God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting people's sins against them. That's how we were reconciled. And he has committed to us the message of reconciliation. We are therefore Christ's ambassadors, as though God were making his appeal through us. And now here's the appeal that we're making to the world. We implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. God made him who had no sin to be sin for us so that in him, he, excuse me, we might become the righteousness of God. Boy, Paul, pack a little few things in there. Well, let's, let's go back and just take a look at this. First of all, this is what Paul says. We can, regard, we can now regard the world from a new point of view. Verse 16, it says, so now on we regard no one from a worldly point of view, not even, not even Jesus. See, the, to function as the church, we can no longer regard everyone and look at the world through the very same eyes that the world uses, all right? We're seeing from a different place. We see from this perspective, a different perspective, because God gave us a different perspective. He's put us in a new place. We see the people who have yet to meet Jesus, not as enemies, as we often do, not as competitors, uh, nor can we ever easily write anyone off as being unworthy. We must see every human being as someone that Jesus loves and died for every human being. People are spiritual beings. This is central to understanding the message of the kingdom of God and understanding who we are. For all we've learned about humanity's physical being, about their psychological being, about their social being, all those things. See, the part that exists now and is going to exist into eternity is spiritual. That's the the eternal part. As believers, this becomes really important. We can only approach people with the attitude, the ultimate goal of somehow communicating with them around this spiritual need. We most often, though, make our initial connections through, through temporary things, people's needs. You know, it is physical, it is psychological, it is social. And we're in, we step into their world at moments where they're looking for answers that through kindnesses, through words of, of encouragement, through, through healing words, through consistencies, we, we model a life that will offer hope and love and peace because we really have got this. We've got it to offer. It's always been my goal to never offer anything in the window that we don't offer in the store. So if I'm gonna tell you something, that God can change your life, I want to know he's there to do that. That's what we're doing here. 
People's needs are real. And, and, and so when we encounter them, it gives us this opportunity to begin stepping in and making a difference. It's the Holy Spirit. We talked quite a bit about him during, the, during Acts. It's the Holy Spirit who sets this new view of the world, his eyes. He, lo- he loans them to us. So, so that, uh, he gives us a new mind, the Bible says. He gives us a new heart. That's all scriptural. We get all these new things. See, and through his direction and through his insight, we just are given, finally, have available to us the most accurate perspective of mankind that anyone else has any access to. So no matter how they're looking, others are looking at the world, we have God's perspective of what's happening in this earth. How many of you think that might be a valuable thing? We learn how to walk in it and to live in it. We can't afford to allow ourselves to be directed by any other force or any other influence but by the Spirit of God. Otherwise, we will get a different end, a different outcome. This portion of Scripture is Paul just attempting to explain that the practice and application of our faith does not end when we accept Jesus or when we start to attend church. That's when it all starts because there's so much more that God has called us to. Here's the second thing that, that Paul uh, identifies. He says, the old creation has been replaced by a new. In verse 17, if anyone's in Christ, the new creation has come, the old has passed away, the new is here. This is uh, where our new perspective comes from. This is how we get it. If we're in Christ, if, if you've accepted Jesus as your Savior, the new creation has come into us it, with the Holy Spirit's presence, and the transformation begins. He can't help it. He's going to change us. The old creation, the, the old way that we used to manage our lives without Christ, the, that way of thinking, the way of solving our problems, the way of facing difficulties, the way we looked at and planned for the future, the way we maintained relationship, all those things, all that stuff begins to change. The old form can now go in favor of a new one that is more real than the one we had. See, we no longer belong to its claims, its effects, its threats, its, its vows, its mechanisms, its chaos. That doesn't have to be mine anymore. It has no title on me. I've got some really good news. That old creation, that is that life under the grip of sin, is absolutely defenseless in light of Jesus' resurrection power that he has now invested in the church, you. All that Christ brought with him, he freely gave to us. All that he demonstrated, all that he taught is now at work in, in us and through us. It's here. How does this affect us? Well, Paul goes on to write, by being reconciled to God. Verse 18. All this is from God, who reconciled us to himself through Christ, gave us the ministry of reconciliation, that God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting people's sins against them. He he has committed to us the message of reconciliation. So most significantly, uh, Paul starts, Jesus began the work in our life by reconciling us to God. 
See, we were in this state of animosity with God. We, we were antagonistic. We opposed him. Didn't always mean to, but we did. We were totally and perpetually out of sync with him. We, we didn't think his thoughts. We didn't walk his walk. But in Christ, we're given this means by which we can come around and be made right with him. See, no matter how hard you try, you can vote on this if you want to. Maybe you're better at this than I am. But, you know, I just never was able to get God to see things my way. (laughs) Try as I might. Somewhere it began to dawn on me that the only way there was going to be effectiveness and there was going to be some victory in my life is when I started to see things his way. He says in the Old Testament, I am the Lord, and I change not. It just sounds better in the King James. I change not. (laughs) Somehow it's working for me. See, in Christ, I experience this this transformation that aligns me with him. It allows me to walk alongside him. It allows me to start doing his will. And it was totally designed by God. I didn't have a thing to do with it. And Paul calls it reconciliation. I'm reconciled. I was wrong, and now I've been made right. The old is gone. The, The original word had to do with the changing of money, but it's like he's traded... He's given us the heavenly currency for this old, worn-out currency of death and fear. And now I can be right, reconciled to God on my own. I was in opposition to him, but now by his grace I am walking with him. Paul says there's where it begins. That's where it starts. And where does it go? It leads us to our ambassadorship, the ministry of reconciliation. That's our story. All right, verse 20. We were therefore Christ's ambassadors as though Christ were making his appeal through us. We implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. That's, what we, that's what's supposed to be coming out of our mouths. That's what's supposed to be coming out of our lives is this, is this motion towards getting other people reconciled, made right with God just as he had done it for us. Not only uh, are we reconciled to God, but we were given the ministry of reconciliation. Everybody, everybody in here that's received Jesus as your Savior has been given this ministry. I don't have a ministry. Oh, yeah, you do. Yeah, you got one. It's reconciling the world to Jesus. They, it, it's going to determine, if I believe this, uh, the thing that got me right with God, if I believe it, then, then it's going to determine how I act. It's going to determine what attitudes I let take over in my life and the way I maneuver my day. See, I'm, I'm called to be a reconciler. That Maybe this is what Jesus was saying when he said, blessed are the peacemakers, those that begin to bring not just a smoothing oil on the water, but they actually begin to bring people around to where they can be right with God's point of view. When you asked Jesus in your heart, you, you didn't really know what was happening, did you? I, I mean, we just, I, I don't know about you, but I, I, I'm not crazy about feeling guilty, right? And so accepting Jesus was like this moment where I don't really have to feel guilty anymore. And God's going, yes, son, you don't have to feel guilty anymore. By the way, I've got this package for you. 
and it's full of all kinds of grace. Welcome to the world of reconciling the world to me. We didn't know that when we received him, but this grace-filled package puts us into ministry. Now, there's a reason I'm talking about all of this. Um, Why are we here? was kind of the the question in the beginning. See, Paul is trying to communicate something. He's trying to communicate the, the importance of what God has transferred to us. He wants to make sure that we get a hold of it with the same honor and the same significance that Jesus did, giving it all that it deserves. How many of you know it's always best to... Um, uh, it's always best when we truly hold God's values with the same significance and gravity that he does. It's going gonna, it's gonna to work better for us. See, this ministry of reconciliation kind of works like this. Uh, the church, that is all of us together, are the kingdom's ambassadors to this reconciled world. That's what Paul says in that verse. We are ambassadors. And Paul is using that word very intentionally. Um, when we're together like this, we are his ambassadors. When we are out there amongst them, we are his ambassadors. See, this is a lot bigger than how Jesus can benefit me and mine, right? This, is, this extends me. This sticks me out into a world that's in pretty desperate need. So whether we're in session like we are or focused on our individual interests, We are always his delegates. We are always his attaches. See, it's important that the ambassadors get together once in a while. That's what we're doing here, this regular basis uh, that that we meet together and worship together. It shows the solidarity of of heart and mind. It it reminds us of who we are, and and we get a chance to encourage one another. And then we get to go back out and present our credential to this watching world. In our thinking often, we separate church. This thing we're doing now, when we're in session, from, uh, from living out our individual lives. This is a thing we do on a Sunday morning, and that's another thing that we do. See, this is what we gather for worship, teaching, and fellowship, relate to one another and to God. But then we go about, uh, out there amongst them, hoping one of these days, you know, I get to talk to somebody, maybe this occasional conversation about some interested, uh, with some interested seeker. In the scripture, however, in this scripture, Paul is beginning to lump this entire experience together and is saying, yeah, this this couple of hours is really important when the church is gathered and assembled, when we're hearing the word together and worshiping together. But what about the other 166 hours of the week? He said, no, the whole thing is you being in this role of ambassadors. We're always in this, in this role. We never step, uh, step aside of it, uh, from it. It's the vocation of God's people, the ministry and the message of reconcili- uh, reconciliation. Uh, an ambassador is someone with this accredited, appointed Position. They have a delegated power from the nation that sent them. They duly act and represent another other than themselves. They weren't, they're, not a, um, they're not promoting their own agenda, but, but the agenda of another. Ambassadors work to develop understanding, perhaps even settling differences, and at, t- uh, at times clearing up misunderstanding. They become spokespersons, clearly communicating the sending government's uh, 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 standing and actively interacting with the people of the country that they are now visiting. 
Ambassadors represent their nation's way of life while living in the midst of another culture. That's us. That's another culture out there. I am not a part of it anymore like I was at one time. As God's handpicked representatives, then we have to promote an understanding of the one who wants to reconcile humanity to himself. That's our story. Be reconciled to God. That's what Paul said. We're telling them uh, through our lives, through our words, through our choices, through our, our families, through our worship, the, our priorities. All of these things are a window through which the world gets a chance, a glimpse of a new life that is theirs as well if they embrace it. That's us being reconciled, reconcilers. This is our mission. This is our message, partnering with God to bring people into reconciliation. And folks, we're never off mission. That's who we are. How do we do it? Well, we do it any and every opportunity that God gives us. See, striving to live as a Christian means living the best ways to respond in love in our current and very real circumstances, as well as living it and loving in the circumstances of others. Life never stops offering opportunities to extend God's love to others. You got that? It never ends. It's always there. If you're looking for it, ambassadors, there is always another opportunity to do right and to be a light in a dark place. Peter Faber observed one time, says, Every, everywhere there is good to be done. It seems that there's no end of possibilities of planting a seed, of, of maybe watering one, of, of a growing interest, or, or maybe even to get to be the one who harvests the crop. There's always a chance. Don't, I, don't you think it's interesting? Like I, I've been... Um, I've been reading through the Bible, and I haven't even known that it's like a good thing for a pastor to do is like read the Bible once in a while. So, but I haven't read all the way through it in a while, like cover to cover. Well, I, I, I decided I was going to read chronologically, you know, so that the stories and the prophets and everything is sort of aligned as I read. So you're jumping around. I read the New Testament and the Old Testament at the same time, got through, got through the New several months into this several months ago, so I'm plowing through the prophets. <laughs> Hallelujah. And, um, but there's a, thing, there's a couple of themes that have become very, very clear in this reading this time. And, and one of them is that for God, for God, whenever he declared his love to his people or to anyone, it was always followed by an action. Love was an explanation for what God was doing. It wasn't a Hallmark card. It wasn't a warm, fuzzy thought, throw something out, make you feel good, encourage you a little bit, with no intention of delivering. God's love became a powerful, moving uh, um, mechanism with mankind. And he never made that promise. You know, the Bible is just full of words, right? God's words. I'm, I'm just, I'm, you know, it probably within the next week I'll be done with my reading. 
It's just, it's, it's just full. The Bible's full of words. And, and they come out in the form of all kinds of things, you know, directions and, and, and promises and warnings. And, I mean, there's all kinds of things in here. But, but here's the deal. John says, oh, yeah, God has spoken all those words, but the word became flesh. Amen. And he lives among us. It wasn't just God saying stuff out and saying, I love you guys. You don't be warmed and filled. Have a good one. He was saying, I want you to have a good one. I'll tell you what, my words are going to become flesh. The word became flesh and dwelt among us. He didn't just declare his love. He acted on it. That's what being an ambassador to this world means. I start doing the very things he would do if he were here himself physically. I do it under the same direction. I do it for the same reason. I do it under the same power. I, I, and I get the same results. Nothing has changed. This is the world. You know, we, I, if you were watching the announcements. We have one of these great opportunities. Life Church is constantly finding these opportunities. We have this great opportunity on Friday. What's happening on Friday, folks? We're feeding Demani High School. The ambassadors are going across the street. And they're going to feed the entire student body. They're going, to, they're going to feed the staff. They're going to feed janitors. They're going to feed teachers. And we're doing it, not just, they could, just, they could go to the cafeteria. We're doing that as an expression of the people next door who have loved and adopted this school. And we want good things to happen for them. You need to come and be part of that. If you've never been part of one of these, if you can, 10.30 Friday, right over here. It's like whip out your ambassadorship and lay it on them. Paul, uh, um, excuse me, Rick Warren in his groundbreaking book, The Purpose Driven Church, he wrote this. Uh, he said that the community of faith in the book of Acts viewed themselves as a transformational kingdom force inward to their church community and outward to the world. I never stop being this. If we're the resident ambassadors, then the church becomes kind of an embassy, doesn't it? Like this is their spot in the middle of what can even sometimes be hostile territory, but we are trying to accurately portray the culture and the practice of the kingdom. Here's, here's the thing, because sometimes I think we get a little off. We're not here to convince the resident population how wrong and how bad they are. We are here to show them how marvelous our king is. You got it? There's a lot of stuff out there. But I've got a lot of stuff that Jesus gave me that he wants to give to others. And if I get messed up with their stuff and I'm not handing away my stuff, then we've not done our job. We're not on mission. Amen. See, we're servants of the king. Now, I want to do this last verse, 21, and just talk a moment about this thing, the possibilities, because sometimes we get, we, we get our form over mission. And it always has to be mission over form. I'll explain that. Verse 21 says, God made him who had no sin to be sin for us. He did all the hard work and all the heavy lifting so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. In other words, we become the expression. See, as ambassadors, we model a way of life. 
Walking with Jesus is a way of life, not a thing you do on Sunday morning. Everybody got that? Is this the right crowd? At least 10 of you shook your head yes. I heard a whoop and I heard a clap. All right, we're moving forward. It doesn't take very much to encourage me. See, every church has to adopt some sort of form so that they can operate. You've got a, a way that we do this. We, we have to have a, a way for people to worship, for them to get strengthened and healed and, and organized to serve. That's what churches do. We have to have a, a structure. And there's a lot of structures out there. Life Church has one, and we have a good one. We have one that we keep working on. Uh, you never want to ever think your structure is done. What, what it is. See, why is this even important? Well, the form is not the message, but it should reflect it. The form, the way we do things, the structure, should be the box into which we pack and carry and deliver our mission because the mission is the thing. Whole churches have begun to die around their form, fighting over their form. We've never done it. We've always done it. We've never, and they fight over a form, and the world keeps changing, and the world is just as needy, and we're still ambassadors, and we fight about the form. It's like, no, no, no. Use your form, but get ready to do mission. If Life Church ever stops doing missions, go somewhere else. Maybe we ought to edit that out. <laughs> but isn't it a fact? Who wants to go somewhere where you just get entertained? Wouldn't it be better if we went someplace that said, you know what? You are an ambassador. There's a place to serve. There's a place to go. There's a world that needs you to go. What do I got? I, you know, my life might be sort of insulated. It might be. Well, you know, if nothing else, how's your prayer life? You know, light that thing up. Because there's a world out here that need it, needs it. The form has always got to be a means by which we stay on mission. We all exist ultimately so we can be on mission. And what's our mission? Reconciling the world to Jesus. See, Mark Foreman in his book, Holy Jesus, that's W-H-O-L-L-Y, Holy Jesus, uh, was writing about form and was making this point that form can easily overshadow mission, whether we're a big church or a tiny church, a tiny home church. He, he wrote this. He said, house churches can be just as guilty as the mega church. Most believe their form is the right form. But the house church movement is a form reacting to another form. In reality, there is no right form, only a right function, a right mission. We are about mission, but help us with our form so that we can do this thing that God's called us to do. Walking with Jesus, as I said, is a way of life, and that's what being the ambassador is really about. N.T. Wright once wrote, the method of the kingdom will match the message of the kingdom. The kingdom will come as the church, energized by the Spirit, goes out into the world, vulnerable, Suffering, praising, praying, misunderstood, misjudged, vindicated, celebrating, always, as Paul puts it in one of his letters, bearing in the body the dying of Jesus so that the life of Jesus may be displayed. Back to the beginning of that story, the unwhooping scripture in Matthew 21. I was wondering as I was reading that, 
How did they get there? How did it become okay to the leaders of the temple to have all that activity, to to have a marketplace inside the temple enclosure? I think it probably happened incrementally. Probably it was convenient in the beginning. People came to these big celebrations, the Passover or Pentecost. They'd come from, from miles and other nations spread out over the world, and they would come, and they would, this great distance, they couldn't bring a sacrifice with them. They had to get one when they got there. They had the realm of the coin, uh, the, the coin of their realm, the place where they lived, and the temple only operated around its own coinage. They, they minted their own coinage, and in order, whatever exchange you had, you had to get, do that. So at first, it was, was kind of convenient. We did an easy thing. But pretty soon, it became a really easy way to make some bucks. And as they did that, and as that opportunity grew, it began to push the very people out that Jesus was looking for, where it said, now... The broken could come. Now there was room. So we just want to stay on mission. We want this. We never want the form to ever overwhelm mission. We want the form always to to work with the mission. See, this is a this is not a how-to sermon. It's kind of a why-to sermon. See, being an ambassador uh, with the ministry and the message of reconciliation is our life's work. No matter where we are in life, no matter what our position is, no matter what our background is, as Christians, this is who we are. The call will not bow to any other commitment or any other way of thinking. As Christians, we are to be on mission. We are the window through which the seeking world is meant to catch an accurate glimpse of their Savior. Together, we get this done. As we worship and serve together, as we live this stuff out in our separate lives, we remain people who represent the only hope the world has ever been given. Let that get written inside of our skulls. There is no other place to go. This is why we're here, and this is why we are out there. We are ambassadors for Christ. And that must never change. Heavenly Father, thank you for the call on us to be ambassadors, Lord, and the, the, the message and ministry of reconciliation, helping this world to be put back together, to be back in alignment, in lockstep with you. And Father, help us to always be in lockstep. Help us to be on mission. Help us to, to always build a good, healthy form for people to live in, Lord, and to, and to experience and to walk out of. But Father, ne- never let us ever rest there. The world is out there looking for the very thing we've got, even when they despise it, even when they misunderstand it. It's the message that, that we own that belongs to them. May we always be functioning, Lord. May we always be on mission. May you bless your people, Lord, in this week. And we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Life Church Reno podcast. Remember to subscribe to hear more messages like this. And you can also find more information at lifechurchreno.com. Blessings to you.